Seven angels bring seven plagues in chapter 15 of the Revelation. This is Pastor Greg here with Life 66. We are moving through this amazing book of the Revelation. Not revelations. This is not many revelations we're finding out in this uh, book of 22 chapters. It's a single revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I heard a story a while back uh, of a skydiver who attempted to film a number of fellow jumpers as they all leapt from the plane and began their free fall. Uh, the jump started well, and the photographer secured some really, really awesome footage. The camera captured each skydiver as he raced through the air and then opened his chute. But the last segment of the film is one of total chaos as the cameraman makes a horrifying discovery. In his enthusiasm to film the dive, he literally forgot to put on his own parachute. It wasn't until he reached for the ripcord that he realized the terror of his error. His jump was an eventful and exhilarating trip for a few moments, and then it was over. Tragic tale, but not one that's very different from a lot of our lives, that we live a short period of time, no real much longer than that free fall in light of eternity, we might think it's a great ride. Everything's fantastic until we reach the end and realize we don't have our safety parachute on. We don't have the safety of our Lord Jesus and how we wish we would at that time. Today, we're in Revelation chapter 15, and we are moving clo ever closer to the, the final judgment. Next chapter in chapter 16 is the last seven uh, uh, plagues, the bowls of wrath that God pours out. And chapter 15 is kind of an, it's not kind of, it is an interlude between the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments. Um, actually, chapter 12 through 15 is that interlude. Um, and these bowls reveal the heart of the one that takes the mark, mark, that even with these awful plagues, even with the awful plagues of the trumpets, and the awful plagues of the bulls that we're going to see, they still refuse to submit to God. Amazing to me. Man, I'm thinking I'd do whatever I could to make sure I was right with the one who is so powerful, but people won't. They refuse. They're so arrogant and so just set in their ways, uh, wanted to run their own lives. So let's look through this uh, last interlude between uh, plagues. And after we uh, study the plagues of the bowls of God's wrath in chapter 16, that will be the end of, of the judgments. And then we will move into Jesus's final, final return. So in verse one through four of chapter 15, it reads this way. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them, God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and over the number of his name. They held harps and uh, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God almighty. Just and true are your ways, king of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. 
Let's pause right there. So there's another sign. Uh, seems to connect the series uh, of signs that have occurred throughout the Revelation, but uh, specifically the signs spoken of in chapter 12. That uh, uh, this one is described as great and marvelous. And it fits that this sign reveals the last uh, of God's great judgments. With these bowls that we'll learn about in chapter 16, uh, God's wrath is complete. The lake of fire is yet to be opened. That's final judgment, and we'll see that in chapter 20. Um, but as far as God's wrath on, the, on this earth, uh, it's completed with these seven bowls. Now, you've got to realize that there's a difference between God's judgment and God's wrath. That God used Babylon to judge Israel, or the floodwaters of Noah. And, but in this, his wrath will be completed. His judgment will be completed. Uh, Psalm 110.1 says, uh, until his enemies will be his footstool, that this is the bringing down of his enemies for the final time. Um, it's interesting, to, if you would, if you do your own study on this one, compare the trumpet judgments with these bold judgments and see what similarities and, uh, and differences there are. Um, that's for those of you that want to go deeper in your own personal study. Well, it says that there was a sea of glass mixed with fire, the last time we saw the sea of glass was in Revelation 4 or 5 up in the throne room. Uh, but then it was just a sea of glass. Now it's mixed with fire, symbolizing God's judgment. Those standing on the sea are those who are martyred in the tribulation. Uh, they refuse to take the mark of the beast, and they refuse to worship the image of the beast, and so they paid with their lives. This is serious stuff when you resist the satanic powers. But we ought not to be afraid if uh, by some miracle, we're still here during those days, uh, then it's up to us to stand firm. Certainly, it'll be next generation, the one after that. I'm convinced of that. Now, it's my opinion. Uh, but with the way the world is moving now, even with the technology um, of uh, buying and selling with a tattoo or a barcode imprint or even a microchip underneath the skin, that those things are now being uh, test, uh, um, tested on human beings. And I've been to many stores where cash is not accepted anymore. I was just at a golf tournament, and uh, there was zero cash allowed. Um, we're there where we are in a cashless society, and it will only be a short distance after that when um, credit cards will be obsolete because of the, um, the chip imprint or some kind of a mark uh, on the person. But remember what we said last episode— this will not be something you can fall into accidentally. You won't oops your way uh, into hell. You will have to make a decision to be loyal to the beast who is bringing these things about. And you'll make a decision by that to reject Christ and to reject the things of God. So these people that are martyred, they're perceived as losers of the world. Um, you can't allow yourself to be deceived into thinking that anything is one in this world. We're not of this world. We're not, we don't belong here. This is not our home. Success in this world doesn't mean spiritual success. Um, failure in this world doesn't mean spiritual failure. That those that are small in the eyes of the world are great in the eyes of God. And we ought never to compare ourselves with earthly successes, but instead hold tight onto the things that God says are valuable and that God says are good and right. 
we, we typically will have a misconception about ourselves, like the seven churches in chapter 2 and 3. And if you re- remember back, all the, those seven churches' misconceptions were false. Uh, they all had an inaccurate perception about themselves. Some thought they were worse, some thought they were better. Um, we need to have a Jesus perception of ourselves, just saying, God, I know that without you, I'm nothing. And I just want to hold on to you and realize that if I do hold on, then I'll see you face to face. These martyrs had been true to Jesus. Um, Satan lost their souls. He might have been able to, to uh, might have been allowed to take their bodies, but not their soul. Their soul is secure, and their soul will be redeemed in heavenly places. Um, these people simply didn't fear Satan's greatest weapon. His greatest weapon is, is the fear of death. And not death itself. God only has the control of life and death. It's the fear of death. And we remember we looked back at chapter 12 and said those who overcame did not fear death as to shrink back and to give in to that fear. Um, so we can stand firm. These people are definitely killed for their faith. And now they stand in places of honor around the throne room in heaven. They sing two songs. Revelation 15 says the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And there are some lyrics that, are, that we read a moment ago. Uh, the song of Moses was composed after the armies uh, of Pharaoh were drowned into the Red Sea. So it speaks of God being victorious over uh, his people's enemies. But also the song of the Lamb that God's redemption and final victory for his people. So there's a dual meaning here of redemption and salvation, of overcoming enemies and bringing God's people into the promise that he has given them. This, this song that they sing focuses on who God is, what he can do, and what he will do. It harkens back to Psalm 145 when it speaks of great and marvelous are his deeds. And the Lord is right and just in all he does. That God doesn't just do things. He does things for the right reasons. And he does things in purity. We may not always understand God's plan. But be assured that God is in control over all creation. I got to admit, sometimes I wonder, you know, God, where are you as the world is going crazy? Um, More insane today than ever before. Uh, People thinking they can be uh, an opposite gender and um, people just backwards in their thinking. Men can be pregnant, etc. cetera. Uh, it's astounding to me how backwards we can get, but that's the nature of deception. It never is hunger. It never uh, is, is, is the appetite of evil is never uh, satisfied. It's always hungry for more. And this song says, who will not fear you? You are king of the ages. We've got to remember Philippians 2, and it says, Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There's going to be a day when every single person, no matter how venomously and violently they rejected God here on earth, they are going to bow, and they are going to acknowledge that Jesus is the king. It says that all nations will worship. Everybody will acknowledge him as king. Everybody that's ever been made, that's ever breathed there, that's ever been conceived, will bow and will worship him. Not all nations will be saved. Not all people will be saved. But all people are going to worship 
before the awesome and powerful presence of God. Well, verse 5 through 8 says, After this, after they sang the song, I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of testimony, it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels was completed. Seven angels are given from God in the temple of testimony. Testimony refers to the law, refers to the truth. And they're given these um, bowls of God's wrath to be poured out one by one on the people of this earth. And I don't know about you thinking of God's wrath. His disciplinary judgment in wrath is just petrifying to me. And as we read these, these next verses in next episode, you're going to see just how incredibly um, awesome they are. But even that, people will not repent. Unbelievable. Um, these seven angels reappear here for the first time after Revelation chapter 8. And they come through and, and they come out of the temple. Um, God's covenant, covenant with his people is going to come to pass. They're dressed in uh, pure, bright linens with golden sashes around their chests, speaking of their uh, uh, regal um, position. Uh, it's very similar to what Jesus is wearing in chapter 113, uh, this picture of righteousness and sovereignty. And one of those living creatures gives the bowls uh, filled with God's wrath who lives forever and ever to uh, one of the other um, the angels. Um, what is a bowl? Well, it's a large, shallow vessel as opposed to kind of a, of a like a wine vat or a vial. Um, you know, kind of, I guess, suppose you could think of kind of a very large salad bowl or a pasta bowl or something like that. That's the imagery that we get. Um, and uh, this is, well, this is the imagery that we get uh, of what these look like. When that happens, the temple is filled with the cloud of his glory. That's the Shekinah glory, the glory of God. And it fills the whole temple. We see this in Isaiah 6, 4, where the foundations and thresholds shook at God's presence, and the place was filled with his glory. Exodus 40, 34, 36, Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud of his presence was filling with his glory. Um, Leviticus 16, Aaron had to carry a censure of smoke into the tabernacle, lest he die because of God's glory. And on and on and on throughout the, uh, the prophets and um, throughout the entire scripture, the glory of God is such that we can't even stand in its presence uh, lest we die or lest God dials it back a little bit. And this glory is seen when these last seven plagues are introduced. God will have his glory. God will be praised. God will be acknowledged, not because he's some power-hungry, vindictive God. It's, it's just simply he's going to reveal who he is. And in revealing who he is, all people will shrink back in fright. He's that awesome. Similar to John 18, when they came to arrest Jesus and they asked, 
where Jesus was. And Jesus said, I am he. And when he said that, all of the soldiers, Pharisees, religious leaders, they all fell over to the ground because of the awesome nature of Jesus's uh, statement. And that's when Jesus is living in peace with us. Think what it's like when he's going to be pouring out his bowls of wrath. I'll tell you what, I don't want to be on the wrong side of God at that point. I hope you don't either. Well, I hope that this has been helpful for you and it's encouraged you, uh, especially if you're a Christian, you're encouraged. If you're not a Christian, I hope that it will convict you and that you will understand there is a way that you can make sure that you will be saved, and that's accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, honoring him with the rest of your life. And there's no need to really you know, do any extra um, we, we just have to submit, is what I'm trying to say. Just just surrender is all we need to do, and I hope you will. Let's continue to live by the 66, God's 66 books in the Bible, and when we do, we'll find we have the abundant life. Have a good one. Take care. <laughs>